As you write your life story, you're far from finished. Are you looking to close the book on your job? Maybe turn a page in your career. Be Continued at the Georgetown University School of Continuing Studies. Our professional master's degrees and certificates are designed to meet you where you are and take you where you want to go. At Georgetown SCS, the learning never stops, and neither do you. Write your next chapter. Be continued at scs.georgetown.edu slash podcast. Tribune Audio Network. You shoot off the edge, you go from 0 to 150 miles per hour in two seconds. 0 to 150 facing backwards. Facing backwards, so my goggles actually came off of my face because my body was moving so fast and the goggles were catching up to my face. From the Fox 6 Studios, this is Open Record. We're investigative reporters breaking down the big stories, what it took to get them, taking you behind the scenes. It's the stuff we couldn't tell you on TV. On today's episode, a floating city inside the whirlwind experience of living on an aircraft carrier. Hello, everybody. I'm Brian Polson here with Jenna Sachs. Hi. And our special guest host today, we're excited to have Carl Deffenball hey guys. here in the podcast studio. Thanks for having me. So Carl is one of our morning anchors here at Fox 6, and you are venturing into the world of podcasting yourself? Yes, I'm not coming for your turf. We're doing a separate thing here with another podcast from Fox 6. There's no room, Bruno. Oh, yeah, yeah. Of course, yeah. <laughs> Unfortunately, you guys are far better reporters than I, so I can't get into the uh, investigative side of things, yeah. but we're having some fun conversations with people around Milwaukee, some the influential people behind all the great things happening in our city. So we talked to the Summerfest guys. We talked to a Milwaukee Bucks player, Pat Connaughton. We've got some others uh, coming down the pipeline that we and think will be pretty interesting. We have no idea what time people are going to be listening to this True. podcast, because we're but but it's it's we're recording it a little bit after noon, which for a lot of people is like the middle of the day. But for you, this is you're like you're probably ready to go home. This for is a nap. getting to be bedtime for me, but yeah. that's all right. I, I'll cut aside some time for you guys. And all what's right. the name of your podcast? Definitely Milwaukee. D E F two F's. Yeah, for Deaf and Bob. Definitely. <laughs> <laughs> That's nice. It's something few people outside the military get the opportunity to experience being on board an aircraft carrier. The USS Dwight D. Eisenhower, a naval ship that provides a wide variety of resources to the U.S. Navy. And Carl, you got to experience something few people get to, certainly few people outside the Navy, to know what it's like to to live on a floating city. Certainly a once-in-a-lifetime experience. I did this back in 2017 with our chief photojournalist, Andy Conkle. We were given the opportunity to spend three days with the U.S. Navy, 27 hours of that on board the Mighty Ike, as it's known. And uh, not exactly a long time, but still long enough to get a, a real feel for what it's like to actually live in the middle of the ocean. It's uh, one of the most dynamic working environments. And everybody has their little part, and if there's one chink in that armor like that puzzle can fall apart so it's it's a it's constant non-stop communication you become a little family out here so the closest i can come to this is having been on like a, a pleasure cruise ship because sure. you're out in the ocean it's a big machine but it's got to be an entirely different experience on a military warship what was it like 
for you said 27 hours you spent on the ship yes so uh the the most i can say is that andy and i got back landed we kind of decompressed a little bit and then said how the heck are we supposed to put that experience into words it was absolutely unbelievable uh one of the moments i'll never forget so we spent three days with the navy but we actually got to take off from naval station norfolk in virginia on a c2 greyhound and land perform one of the trap landings on the aircraft carrier where the tail hook has to catch the wire or you're going off the end of the ship and we weren't able to see very much during that initial experience there's only a very tiny window so we leave from the naval station in norfolk on ground on land we can't really see much during the flight and then the back door opens and it's open ocean fa-18 sitting on the deck and just people running around everywhere and it is uh controlled and organized but certainly some uh some energy and some chaos there and you're like wow this is a whole different world so we've been describing it as a floating city yeah. does it really feel like that oh absolutely that it is huge so the flight deck itself is like four and a half acres long uh end to end it's about four football fields long and that's just the flight deck there's 11 stories of this ship so there's all sorts of areas for you to explore we tried to get to a lot of them we got to plenty but certainly not a, a, a just a fraction of what the ship is because of time or because the there were the there are things you were restricted from seeing. Both. Some of it only a certain amount of time, and we were focusing on Wisconsin sailors, so we went specifically to where some of those people uh, did their daily jobs, where they lived, things like that. But there were also areas where we're not allowed to go. One of the guys we talked to uh, from West Alice, actually, was a uh, uh, worked in the nuclear re- reactor of the ship. All of these are nuclear-powered, and we are not allowed to go into certain areas for uh, reasons technical and also just... Um, I don't know, getting things out there. They don't want you to see No, they don't want cameras in there. They don't want Homer's back there with a green thing in his hand. Exactly. So what are they doing out there on this ship, especially the Wisconsinites you spoke with? What's the day-to-day They're in any and all different roles. So when I say floating city, we really do mean that. There's, uh, for example, a hospital on the ship. There's a full operating room in case someone's injured. There's a Starbucks. There's a... There's a Starbucks on a Starbucks on board the aircraft carrier. there's a Starbucks everywhere you go. That's kind of their joke, yeah. Holy cow, all sorts of stuff. Uh, so we talk to people. There's a mail room. So there's somebody who works in logistics there, kind of making sure all the sailors get their mail while they're gone for anywhere from seven to nine months deployments all around the world. There's, yeah, there's a little bit of everything. What floor is the casino on? <laughs> they no, didn't they have, that, have that, or at least okay. I'm not allowed to say where that That's is. That's one of the yeah, restricted areas. Secret. They don't want you to see <laughs> that. So you were there, you said, really profiling some of these Wisconsin sailors yeah. who, who were on the ship. Can you talk a little bit about some of, of, of who you met and, and what they did? Yeah, absolutely. So, uh, again, a whole range of things. One of the things that struck me just in general about the aircraft carrier, it's about 5,000 people at a time or more on the ship at any given time when the whole air wing and the planes are there. Um, the average age is 20 two, which struck wow. me. Yeah. And, so and granted, probably, there's, you're like the old man as they say. For many of in. the people we interviewed, I was a good five, six, seven years older than them. And that wasn't the case for everyone, but certainly for some. And that what? overall age really kind of struck me. Why is that? Is it so many of them go there? So many of them career? come out of high school, perhaps, uh, looking to, to travel the world, get around. Two of the guys we spoke to, uh, both that guy in the reactor room, uh, joined when he was 18, right out of high school, wanted to kind of get away, thought it was fun to say that he split atoms at 18 <laughs> for his daily job. The other guy uh, who worked in the mailroom was from Milwaukee, um, wanted to travel the world. So he got to go to Mount Vesuvius on one of their uh, uh, stays. He had dinner at the top of the Eiffel Tower when they were had some shore leave and whatnot. So for a lot of these people, it's a way to, to get out and explore. The closest I can come to that at 18 is I split nachos. There you go. Splitting hey, that's a start. At 18. But it's, it's really, it's amazing when you think about, you talk about that age, average age of 22. Yeah. You said, you think that these are the people who are defending our country. Yeah. 
and and they're uh, you know I feel like I can say this now as a forty six year old with with children who are getting ready to soon go off to college is that these are kids yeah. they're adults but that's who's defending our country and they're they're risking their lives and they're putting so much there for our protection and our safety and this was an amazing experience for me very cool for Andy and I to get to experience this but it's very real for them and very serious as well so two examples of that. That ship had gotten back a few months before we went out on it from a seven-month deployment. They were in the Mediterranean, they were in the Persian Gulf, and they launched something like almost 2,000 combat missions over Iraq and Syria, actually targeting and dropping bombs on ISIS and al-Qaeda targets. And one of those guys spoke to me about the fact that the planes leave with the bombs, they come back without them, and you kind of get a sense of just how real this is and how serious that is So a lot of really important work going on there. I'm interested in what it's like living there Mm -hmm. for an extended period of time for these people, but you were there for a shorter period of time. Same situation? Did you live the same way? They were nice to us. So we ate in the mess halls with the, the giant cafeteria that they have there on the ship had the same food, which is actually pretty good, all things considered, for uh, being out and about for months at a time. Um, the living quarters, we got treated nicely. We were in kind of the special guest honor quarters, so maybe similar in size to like your college dorm room, maybe about half of that. But Andy and I were in a, a room together, a bunk bed, a desk, and, and locker for each of us. Now, some of the people are in things where you're stacked three or four bunks high in some of the enlisted living quarters and whatnot. So that gets a little maybe more cramped than uh, <laughs> the rest of us might be And used they're to. there every day, day after yeah. day. That's life on yeah. the ship. Do you guys want to know a funny story about sleeping on an aircraft carrier? I would love to hear it. So 27 hours, we were pretty much working the entire time. We're going up and down stairs all over the flight deck trying to get to as much as we can. But we got a few hours of sleep. And uh, where our rooms were, were right below the flight deck. Um, which I didn't think about. And then the next morning, Andy asked me, oh my gosh, I couldn't sleep. Like, you weren't able to either, right? And I said, wait, what are you talking about? And it's like, the noises, they were going all night long. And I was like, I, I don't know what you're saying. So they were launching planes off the flight deck right above us all night long. And you slept and through I it. And I slept through it, yeah. <laughs> with a giant, like, powered thing they had. Why do I feel like your wife is at home going, this is no surprise? Yep. <laughs> So we couldn't decide whether that makes me a good sailor or a terrible sailor, whether I can sleep through things or just not be aware of what's happening around me. So as a journalist on yeah. this ship, did you have difficulty finding stories or things to focus on? Did, were they secretive with you about I, what you were doing? Honestly, we sort of expected that to be the case. This is a military ship. This is, uh, again, serious work being done here. And they could not have been better about how open they were. They had allotted times for us. They would kind of take us to places and set up different interviews for us. So a lot of it was arranged and coordinated because these people are working at the same time. But honestly, the access was incredible. We got to go to so many different areas of the ship, meet so many different people. And outside of a couple of restrictions, we didn't really feel limited. It was more, how are we going to fit this all into a series of stories? Well, and, and for anyone who's seen these stories, they are visually unbelievable. Yeah. And I think about oftentimes we do these investigative or, or consumer stories. And, and what we struggle with when we go into the edit booth is, this is a really non-visual story. What do are we going to do for video? Yep. You had the opposite problem, I'm, I'm assuming, yeah. based on what I've seen. It was like, probably from a photography standpoint, an absolute dream. Certainly for Andy, and I know he was just racing all over the place to get what he could. Um, within probably an hour or two of us landing on the ship, they took us right back up to the flight deck, and they were in the middle of this incredible operation where F-18s were launching 50 feet from us. 
launching and landing. They can land during the day. Do you time. have headsets? We or did. Okay, yeah, they're very particular. Oh, absolutely. Very particular about your headsets, your helmet, where you're standing on the ship. There are these painted lines on the flight deck, and if you take a an inch onto that line, there's multiple people pulling you back immediately because it's that serious. Um, but again, we just kind of lucked out. I've had a, a couple friends go through a similar experience at different times, maybe on different ships as well. It just so happened when we were on that ship, they were in the middle of this two-week intensive exercises where on the day we were there, the first day, they were in the middle of this operation to train uh, one of the pilots to become a mission commander. And he was responsible for coordinating a strike, quote-unquote. This was a, a, a trial situation involving 27 planes. So that's the amount of action that was happening above us, on the flight deck, all around us during that time. time to be yeah. there. And you just said something. You dropped it in right there. You said when we landed on the ship. <laughs> so you didn't just, like, walk across no. or take steps up. How did you get on the ship? So we, this was, again, an experience that very few people get, including people on the ship. Most of the sailors never get this experience because they get on and off when they're in dock at a mm-hmm. naval station or around the world, but they do have uh, C-2 Greyhounds, which are like the freight train, basically, of the U.S. Navy, and there are these propeller planes that land and take off the same way the jets do, with a, a launch and then with a tail hook that has to catch the wires. So we got to experience this. Uh, the landing was something else because it was all brand new to us at this point. The takeoff was even crazier because at that point then we'd seen how it happens. We see these jets going blasting off the edge and the planes as well. And uh, another weird thing, you're sitting backwards in this plane because they kind of, they use those as either cargo or passengers, whatever they need. So they load in seats that are backwards and you shoot off the edge. You go from zero to 150 miles per hour in two seconds. Zero to 150 facing backwards. Facing backwards. So my goggles actually came off of my face because my body was moving so fast and the goggles were catching up to my face. Wow. Wow. So so I've been to, uh, I just have to compare it to something I have experienced in real life, Cedar Point Amusement Park, uh, Sandusky, Ohio. There's a roller coaster there called Top Thrill Dragster that goes from zero to 100 using magnets. And I don't know, it's not two seconds. It's got to be longer than that, but that's zero to 100. And that, I thought, was ridiculous. But you're saying zero to 150 in two seconds. So here's an example closer to home. Six Flags Great America just had this great release of the Max Force, their new coaster. They made a big deal. Fastest launch in North America, zero to 78 in two seconds. We were going twice that fast. Did you wow. feel okay? Were you a little queasy? It's a rush, I'll say that. Um, not too queasy. I think my stomach was thankfully holding up at that point, but it's certainly an adrenaline rush. The other kind of random thing uh, that you don't think about on the landings, and uh, we didn't, this is more so for the jets, I think, than and the plane we were on, the the F-18s, but we experienced it standing on the deck. When they land, they're not slowing down. They're actually boosting their engines as hard as you can go because if they miss those wires, they have to take off right again. They can't go falling off the edge of the ship. So that's how strong, like, those wires are and everything because they are going full throttle when they land. Yeah. Okay. (laughs) Oh, no, go ahead. Go ahead. No, I was interested in... Obviously, you're reporting because it turned out so well, and you were working so closely with Andy. Did you have to communicate really well with each other about what you wanted to shoot when there's so much to overwhelm you and maybe we could do this story or this story. Did you have to kind of have There was certainly a lot of that. I mean, um, in the moment, it's just kind of a whirlwind and you're just trying to shoot whatever you can and interview whoever you can. I ended up with something like close to 30 pages of interviews that I logged to go through afterwards because you're just trying to get as much. And then after we got back, we kind of 
took a deep breath, debriefed for a few days, and, and started to divide up the pieces into how we thought would be a coherent and cohesive story. And what how did you decide to divide them up? So we ended up doing a, a number of different stories. We did a general one about the experience, kind of uh, come along with us as we go uh, on the carrier for a day. We did one specifically about the Wisconsinites, introducing you to a few of the different Wisconsinites on the ship. We did one uh, targeting two women in particular, because the Navy's trying to grow the rate of women in the Navy, and there's a specific program um, that allows women to leave for up to three years and keep their health benefits and also keep their uh, rate or ranking, mm-hmm. um, basically to encourage people. They were having a problem where they would leave to start families and then not come back. So this is an attempt to do that. So we talked to two women, one from Milwaukee, one from Kenosha, who love the Navy, have stayed in for many, many years now and sort of their side of things. Uh, and then we did something about the operations at sea, what actually happens on a day-to-day basis, what they were going through in those exercises. And this is kind of relevant to the news recently um, with some of the issues with Iran and in the Gulf of Oman. On the second day we were there, they were specifically going through a situation with the entire carrier group. So not just the carrier, but the other ships involved in the group as well. Specifically practicing going through the Strait of Hormuz, which is right near the Gulf of Oman, right off of Iran. It's a very narrow area to get to the Persian Gulf, such an important part of the world where the carrier group is most exposed because it's spread out. You can't surround the carrier at that time. It's spread out, and how you deal with threats that are coming from right offshore. You can see people on the shore who are potential threats, potential targets. And this was probably the most intense day because it was, for them, something that they experience all the time on deployment. Well, obviously the most exciting visual thing you see is, is, is the, sure. the, the, the planes taking off and landing. And, and, you know, we all have that sort of, like, Top Gun mentality. Yeah. Everyone wants to be Maverick, right, or Goose. <laughs> um, but there's so many other roles on the ship when you've got a floating city. And you mentioned the nuclear uh, yeah. in- engines. Uh, I-, I had done an interview with someone who had been a nuclear engineer. There's a shortage of them because it requires a level of expertise with mathematics and science, physics. I'm not sure what all it is, but but there are all kinds of different roles you must have seen on the ship beyond people who could potentially be fighter pilots. That was one of the things that really struck me is certainly the pilots, certainly some of the captains and things like that get the the recognition, the acclaim for being in the Navy. But the level of detail that's required up and down for all 5,000 of those people on, on board the ship was just astounding. One of the women from Milwaukee that we spoke to uh, was someone whose job is basically to log parts for every single flight. She worked with a helicopter squadron on board. Every single flight that they do, she logs the flights, the times, the parts used, and she has this database or these files that have each individual part on board the helicopter so that they know when they need to get cycled out, when they're due to get replaced, so the pilots are safe, so the crew on board are safe, everything. So that level of detail to just get one aircraft off the ship is, is pretty remarkable. So did you leave this whole experience with a new appreciation for what they're doing? Did something really stick out to you that you didn't know before that you'll, you'll always remember about a- this experience? Absolutely. I mean, the level of dedication that these people have is just uh, astounding to our country, to uh, their careers that they've chosen, and the commitment, I think, is just remarkable, too. Again, many of these people are very young kind of starting out their lives, but their decisions to to dedicate their life to our country and to their fellow sailors, in this case, or soldiers, if you're another branch of the military, is truly astounding. 
when you leave on a tour on a ship, you don't know sometimes maybe how long you might be yeah. gone, or even if you do know, it's a considerable amount of time with that. 5,000 might seem like a lot of people, but in, in the grand scheme of things, when that's your life for nine months or, or two years, whatever it might be, yeah. that's that, that's a small group of people. That's yeah. your life. Absolutely. That's your family. And some people are leaving family behind as well. There were uh, One of the women, has a she's a single mother, so her daughter stays with her her mother, so the daughter's grandma, I believe, for months at a time. And then when she gets back, it's like the most amazing thing she's experienced because she gets to see her daughter again. Wow, what an incredible sacrifice. Yeah. That's the dinner bell, which means it's time for our dinner party question. So this is our weekly segment where we answer questions we most often get asked as journalists, whether we're at parties or events or we're out and about. And there's a catch, though. We have no idea what the question is going to be. Several envelopes in front of us here. And do I get to pick this one? Or yes, the guests? All right. So you get to Thank pick you. one of these at random. You're responsible. We get to blame you if it's... Oh, they're actually sealed, too. Oh, we don't, we don't this pretend is very to open envelopes. <laughs> <laughs> All right. The question is, what's the most surreal experience you've had covering a story? <laughs> Listen Let's, to the last half hour. Just, I'm done. Uh, no, there it is. <laughs> Boy. I, I have one, of, one story I could share. I've told you guys about this before. Um, maybe you'll remember, Brian. I was um, covering a Nazi rally in Milwaukee several years ago. And the interesting thing is that was quite the experience, but that wasn't the surreal part of it. It was interesting because I was listening to these speakers who were saying things that were like, I wish we had 58 off Hitlers in this country, one for every state. So some clearly very hateful speech. And to our city's credit, there were a lot of people there protesting this event more than were attending. Um, But during the event, I had this interview with a head Nazi, and he's in full uniform. And I'm interviewing him, and right behind him are these two other Nazis who are kind of standing there, I think, to make him look official or maybe intimidating. I'm not sure. Um, But while I'm interviewing this head Nazi, um, one of the Nazis behind him starts, like, smiling flirtatiously at me and then starts winking at me. And this would be the part in the story where I point out that my dad is Jewish. So... To have surreal a Nazi is probably an understatement. Yeah. At that right, point. standing there winking at me was a very surreal moment for me, especially having heard him just applaud and cheer on all these yeah. things these other people were saying. Um, but that was a moment I just never saw coming. You know, there's something about that uniform, and he obviously saw something he liked in me, which is interesting considering all the sure. speech we'd just been hearing. And it just, you know, goes That'd to show you never extremely know uncom- anything wow. about people. I, um, it would have been surreal for me just to have someone flirt with me on a story shoot <laughs> anyone, but much less Nazis. So a Nazi flirting with me was That is an a odd hard moment. one to top. Yeah. Carl, obviously we know about your experience on, yeah. on the Eisenhower, I, so anything else that Sure. Is well, this is kind of surreal. like the, the Eisenhower has been the most amazing experience I've had uh, probably in my career so far. But maybe a close second. Got to fly with the Thunderbirds last year. That was fun. Uh, and we ended up pulling nine Gs over Milwaukee with the uh, pilot I was with. I not only got to operate the plane a little bit, but then he took over and uh, we topped out at nine Gs. And I, I can't even describe, speaking of surreal, like the experience or what you're body feels like in that moment, but uh, pretty insane. Well, you know, we've already talked in previous episodes, so I won't go into depth. I mean, I think when you're standing face to face with a guy who's got a gun and you're, 
yelling across at him to, is that a gun in your hand? That's pretty surreal. Um, But we've talked about that already. I mean, there's been, so so I I don't want to rehash things we've already talked about, but I, I can go back to my radio days when I was at KFRU radio in Columbia, Missouri. And I remember I wasn't doing investigations then. It was just general radio reporting and they were doing media. So that the, the national, I think it was national, maybe international hot air balloon competition was in Columbia, Missouri for a couple of years. It has it, Prior to that, it had been in Arizona. For two or three years, they had it in Columbia, Missouri, and they were doing media flights. And so I was invited, KFRU Radio, as, as their representative to go up in a hot air balloon. And some of the other larger media operations and more important people went up in some of these big, uh, I would say more sophisticated balloons with larger baskets that could fit four, six, eight people. And I went with a guy who had the smallest basket of any of them. And, uh, and there wasn't a lot of extra room. And we we got up on a day where they're very careful about how high are the winds and yeah. can we get up in the air today. The concern is not getting up. The concern is coming back down. And we went up when it was questionable and the winds picked up. So when we landed, the, the, the pilot warned me, this one's going to be rough. Be prepared. So... I you was, never want to hear that. You don't want to hear that, but he said, just brace, he said, we're going to be okay, but brace yourself. This one's going to be a rough landing. And we came down to ground level. I don't know how fast we're going, and I know they measure it in knots. And if you want me to, to translate knots into miles per hour, I don't have a clue. Mm. I'm not a sailor. Um, but we came down, and we were you're essentially at ground level rushing along the ground, and the balloon is being pulled, so the basket is now sideways. And we were dragging along the ground horizontally as we're just waiting for the friction to finally slow us down, and uh, I thought, I'm going to (laughs) die. Just going up in a hot air balloon. And we finally came to rest, and it sort of righted itself, and everything was okay. It was gorgeous when we were in the air, but that landing experience, I think surreal is an understatement. What was the footage like of that? Well, it was in radio. There's no oh, footage. So, I mean, I had to right. describe this later, and it was <laughs> quite a description, but it was probably no more than you could get hearing me talk about it right wow. now. I have photographs of me in the basket with the pilot um, after the fact, still smiling. But um, okay. it was – so uh, we were okay, and then I could smile. But during that landing wow. experience, it was it was intense. So, of course, that was today's question. Now, if you have a question you want the Open Record team to answer, let us know. We can put your question in one of these envelopes, and one of these days it's going to get chosen. Shoot us an email, theinvestigators at fox6now.com. Thanks for listening to Open Record. If you enjoy listening, let us know. You can leave a review on Apple Podcasts. And while you're there, don't forget to subscribe to this podcast as well as Carl's Definitely Milwaukee D-E-double-F. So before we go, we want to thank Carl Deffenbaugh for joining us today. And thank you to the other people who helped make this podcast happen. Producer Pete, Dave Machuda, and Leanne Watson. And if you want more Open Record, head to our website, fox6now.com. Tribune Audio Network.